and welcome to episode 317 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, Jack Harper, and today also joining us is Connor Palmer. Happy New Year to everyone kindly tuning in here. It's been a great start to 2023 for some of us, but maybe not so great for others, as is usually the case when Connor is joining us. Um, (laughs) Plenty to get into. Arsenal extended their lead at the top. West Ham sunk further towards the bottom. Wout Face seemingly had a Liverpool shirt on underneath his Leicester one. Man City dropped points again. Spurs are proving that consistently playing poorly isn't actually the key to winning football matches. And Chelsea have continued to test whether money can buy you happiness. <laughs> Before we get into any of that, though, how's everyone doing today? Fantastic. Yeah, dreading going back to work tomorrow, but other than that, lovely. Another... Another yeah, Monday, think... another depressive episode for myself after <laughs> sitting through that game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't much fun no. for anyone else, to be fair. So at least you actually had a dog in the race. Um, news of the week, we will delay the first news of the week of the year. Not a lot has happened. Uh, newscasters have also been off for Christmas, it seems. And as we have plenty to get into, we'll go straight to the Premier League. Wait till after the World Cup was the repeated cry from Gary Neville ahead of the break, and so far, so good for Arsenal. A come-from-behind win against West Ham, followed by a 4-2 win away at Brighton, means they currently sit seven points clear at the top of the league. Gabriel Jesus' injury was obviously the focus heading into these two games, but just how good of a job do we think Eddie Nketiah has done so far? TK, I spoke to you yesterday you thought you might be having to make an apology. Yeah, I said he could be my Shaq. Uh, I wasn't familiar with your game. I mean, he could be my player for that. Because, uh, yeah, I just thought he'd be nowhere near good enough uh, for Arsenal quality. Yeah. I don't know, I'm still, jury's still out on how good he is and can be, but he's definitely <laughs> back than I thought. Yeah, 11 goals and 11 starts at the Emirates Stadium is the stat they banded during the West Ham game. And... He's frequently banded as this kind of like fox-in-the-box type striker, but I do think he's proving that he can mm. be a lot more than that. We first saw, sorry, Connor, his evolution when he played West Ham away, I think it was, at the end of last season. And it was probably his best performance in an Arsenal shirt up to that stage. He was protecting the ball with his back to goal. He was laying it off nicely to teammates, creating opportunities. And he was able to act as an outlet even while not scoring, which unless you've been living under a rock, is kind of the Gabriel Jesus mantra. Um, Fast forward to now, and he's had that run of games at the end of last season to show his worth, got 100 grand a week contract, and he's waited for his opportunity. And it's not so long back. There were genuinely some in pre-season after that end of last season and with how our pre-season looked. Some were asking if Saka or Martinelli were going to be shifted for Jesus to play out wide and Eddie to be our man in the middle. Jeez. It's only when Jesus played so well, and Eddie has proven, unfortunately, that the kind of striker he is, he should really be perfect for coming off the bench. And instead, that's, since his debut, not really been something we've been able to trust him too well for, him coming off the bench and making an impact. But once he gets some kind of assurances from the manager, he knows he has the shirt for a period of time. He seems to be a completely different player. That's two in two now. He's replicated the Jesus role about as well as he can, I would say. And our entire front line have scored in both fixtures. So he's doing the job probably about as well as Arteta could have hoped. 
it's his all-round game that I've been surprised by. Uh, like you said, I kind of had him down as a finisher, but you, you watch that game and he's pressing. Like you said, his link-up was actually pretty good. Yeah, it's, there's more to him than I thought. Because I was speaking to you, Connor, towards the end of last season when he hadn't signed a deal. And West Ham were one of the teams that were supposedly looking at him as a potential striker. Now, you got Skomaka. We'll speak about him a bit later. Do we have to? But eyebrows were raised when we spent 100 grand a week on him. In terms of backup strikers in the league, I've got to say, you could do a lot worse than this guy. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it is typical that, you know, the one breakthrough game he has against us, we, we, we put our interest in, obviously get shut down and comes back to bite us again anyway. But he is just, you know, Given been given that opportunity and he's he's taken it to be fair to him. I, th- I think Chelsea are attesting to you could have him better than starters, let alone that you they can have worse <laughs> backups. We've got worse starters than him currently by the, by the current looks of it. Because with him, it's not like uh, usually your second striker, you want someone different off the bench. So Giroud would probably be a good option in this face of time, someone that you can really is the focal point, a big man you can get on when his head is. Eddie isn't going to do that. So in the short term, if you're trying to change a game, it's not so good. But in this instance, when Jesus is out for at least three months, it does mean that we're just able to kind of carry things on as we've been going. As I said, the whole front line is now scored in both games. So we're clearly not expecting Eddie to provide all of the goals in the team. So if you can just chip in with a couple every so often, then uh, we're not going to be too far wrong. We do have Newcastle, Spurs and Man United as our next three Premier League fixtures. So we play second, third, fourth and fifth in the next six league games. And that's going to be another test ready because as the stakes get higher the mistakes are going to be intensified more. And if he does go on a barren run in those games, people are going to be looking at him and saying, well, everything was going so well when it was Jesus. Now we see who the issue is. Not sure that would be entirely fair, but if he can get maybe two goals in those games, that's going to be the least we probably expect. In fairness, though, you've also been, you know, coming on to that run of games you're talking about. That is a tough run. But we've kind of, Boxed Arsenal season into little sort of spells of three and four games. We'll see, oh, well, we'll judge them after this, we'll judge them after that. And you kind of think, are we going to get to like game 38? And we're like, well, we'll judge them when they're lifting the title or whatever. It's like, at what point do we sort of, um, I, I don't know, how would you put it? I, I guess take them seriously is kind of, a, we should be well beyond that. But some people, yeah. I guess, maybe aren't. I saw one of the ESPN pundits, it may have been that Steve Nickel. Um, saying, well, look, if they're still there after 30 games, <laughs> then I'll get what you're saying, that they're title challengers. And it's like, I mean, I'm not sure. You can you can challenge for the title without winning oh, yes, the you title, can. As, you can, <laughs> as you can attest to. Um, this little phase here is the closest to what we had in uh, October, where we had Spurs, we had United, Spurs, Liverpool, Leeds away, Chelsea. And everyone said, well, look, if they're still there yeah. after that period of time, then we'll take them seriously, as you said. And this is the next phase. 
I do think sometimes it can keep you more alert. We'd rather have this now than in between some vile Europa trip that we may end up getting. We've got Oxford, I think, in the cup amongst that. So it's it's not too bad. It keeps you switched on. And the fact that Newcastle and Man United are both at home will hope for the best in those situations. I think we'll be disappointed to drop points in any of those games, but we'll see how we go. Um, I think there's an expectation, maybe a fear among Arsenal fans, but an expectation among rival fans that the wheels are going to just come off all at once and we're just going to go from looking like the best team in the league to looking like a team that's competing for fourth. And I'm not sure I that's the case. I don't know if it's so much an expectation as just a hope. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you are praying. Playing, you are playing so well at the moment and we can't see where the failure is coming for, from. So we hope it's just this one great big cataclysmic event where everything just goes wrong and we can all just feel some sort of relief and start enjoying the Premier League again. Well, if I was a rival fan, I'd be looking to every single time Thomas Partey goes down with an injury because you saw just how important he was. I think the goals, uh, Saka's goal against West Ham and Saka's goal against Brighton are both from him nicking the ball back in midfield and meaning we can have a sustained attack. There's no one else in the squad that can do what he does. And after that, I guess probably one of the wingers, you're saying, to have them out alongside Jesus. As much as I like Matt Freakin Turner, <laughs> Ramsdale had a tendency recently where he goes down and he makes out as if he's not just like pulled his hamstring, but it's like snapped in half. <laughs> and then within about 30 seconds, he's up and kicking the ball again. So I don't know what the hell happens because he did it against Liverpool from memory. Yeah. I think we'd just taken the lead and then I thought Matt Turner was coming on. I was like, whoa, let's not have this as your Premier League debut. So, I don't know. You have to be very lucky with injuries. The The campaigns that Liverpool have had in, in recent years, the one in which they had a terrible season or however you want to judge it, was when they were ravaged by injuries. The seasons in which they've been successful, they've been very, very fortunate by comparison. And our season fell away last year with Tierney and Party going down. I don't think any of us expected Party to play this many games in a row. So the injury is going to come at some point and you hope it's during a period in the season where Mohamed Elneny can do the job for you. <laughs> I don't particularly want to see that. The club is still saying to journalists and things that, look, midfield's something that can wait for the summer. Maybe we're waiting for a certain midfielder in London to have a year less on his contract if we're looking for a six, but... You're, uh, that later, I'm sure. you're falling more and more in love with Declan on, on notice in the last few days. Um, it's more the reaction I get when I mention <laughs> Luke has to light the number 41 on the back of the shirt. Mm. <laughs> well, well, we won't go that far. But also when you see the, the prices touted for other options in the market due to other certain clubs, <laughs> then maybe you have to take certain <laughs> numbers now look like more of a bargain than they did uh, a month ago. We'll move on to West Ham though. So losses to Arsenal and Brentford since the restart means the pressure is mounting for David Moyes. David Moyes, I sent you this stat, Connor, because I couldn't believe it. David Moyes is now winless in 70 away games against top six opponents. Insane. That's, that's 
That's where the main <laughs> issue lies. Like, and we even saw even we had when we had that blinder of a season, we come up against big sides, and he he just gives them way too much respect. We'd be playing a certain way all season, and you go, oh, we're playing Tottenham at home here. Yeah, we should probably just sit deep. Like, it's, <laughs> it makes no sense. Are you are you in the position now where pundits will say, look, West Ham season is not going to be judged on a game away at Arsenal? No, because I think they've been they've been. <laughs> we should be judged on the fact that we've not won a Premier League game since the twenty fourth of October. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> the the points that we've dropped and the the performances that we put out there. Yes, you you do say sometimes. Well, I think Deck came out and said it last week, didn't he? That we he the team had let the manager down, but can they let the manager down this many times playing in the same style? that's not getting any points at all. You know, we go 2-0 down to Brentford and Brentford have made two changes before we have. Well, in that loss, that leaves you 17th, one point above the relegation zone. You've now been beaten in five consecutive Premier League games for the first time since April 2017 under Slaven Bilic. And this is the first time that Moyes, unbelievable this, has lost five league games in a row since October 2005 when he was Everton manager. So he's in a worse vein of form here than he ever was at what, Sunderland? Probably didn't get enough games there, did he? Not <laughs> Normally he gets back before he can go on that sort of run. <laughs> the rule. I think I've realised why you've but invited it's me on now, Luke. <laughs> no, what, I was going to say, in, in terms of changes that you said, he reverted to playing wing-backs against Brentford and he was playing Paqueta closer to Declan Rice. I don't know... In terms of the wing-backs, is this what you think you should be doing when you sign the likes of Emerson and you're struggling... Or is it a bad sign for you that maybe you're playing scared? Well, when we when we played really well two three seasons ago, we we were playing with wing backs. We had Suchek who could actually play football back then, sat next to Rice, and we were hitting on counters and having wing backs on the overlap. And he's only just started to bring it in. And if you watch the first twenty five minutes against Brentford, we were all over them, and it was it was working. Yep. When he finally does make changes after we crumbled and conceded that stupid goal from Aaron Cresswell, who I don't think should be on the pitch, he brings off Emerson, who I think was probably one of the biggest attacking threats, which is crazy to say with the likes of Ben Rama, Bowen and Skumaka on the pitch. But that's the only way that we're going to sort of get any attacking threat. If you're going to bring Paqueta back and, and play him a bit deeper, you know, he's not got that... that drive to, to go forward as much as he did when he first started with us. But has he fully hit the ground running with us yet? No, I, I don't think he's quite got used to the Premier League yet. But then to bring Emerson off and put Aaron Cresswell at left-back is mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. Rice said after the Arsenal game how well you'd played in the first half. And he said again about how way, how well you'd played in parts against Brentford. No fan wants to be hearing that after you've lost five no. games in a row. No, you're right. It's all, it's all well and good saying, oh, we played so well first half. We've not scored any goals. Like <laughs> It's the most important thing in a football match is to score goals. And we, we just can't do it. You know, we spent a fair bit of money on, on Skamaka. We spent a lot on Paqueta. 163.6 million in the summer. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's just not working, you know, and okay, last, if last January is anything to go by, we're going to sit there and do absolutely nothing for a month, which 
yeah, it could happen again, but <laughs> uh, we shouldn't be this club that has to spend even more money after spending all that to try and get something. Those players need to be played in a system oh. that, that does work for them. You know, you make these big money signings, maybe change how that that speak volumes as to how the dynamics of the squad's going to change and how the formations are going to change. But he's literally just bought all these players who play different styles of football that we've played and puts them in the same role of as he's had before where there's been no success. Well, that, that's something to speak about, first of all, then, with the summer business. Because I don't think any of us, when we did our deadline day pod, were criticising West no, Ham's business. certainly not. Um, and I think I can use Arsenal as an example. We were clearly looking for a striker in the summer. And you have someone like Gabriel Jesus available. And you have someone like Skamaka available. Arteta obviously wanted to play football a particular way. And so Gabriel Jesus fits that profile. Do you think it was a case with West Ham signings in that you've signed players because they fit a particular profile of how they want to play. Or if you were to really simplify it, if you were on FIFA, you're looking down the list and these are the five highest rated signings that we can get. And we'll worry about how we fit them in afterwards because we've criticised United for doing that. We've criticised Chelsea for doing that. I don't know if as you were signing each player, you were like, well, they're going to play that particular role for us. Well, I I, Skamaka for one stands out because I'll, I'll hold my hands up and admit I haven't been watching the Serie A last year, right? But I think David Moyes has looked at him and just gone, oh, six foot five? Yes. <laughs> Whip it into him. And the guy's great with the ball at his feet. You know, he, he, his debut goal was from outside the box, which is something Antonio's only ever done once. <laughs> it's just, he's just put him up top. And he, he tried to do the same with Arnautovic when we had Arnautovic. But then we found actually putting the ball in Arnautovic's feet and making him be an absolute bastard, which he is, was a lot more successful than just whipping in long balls. Try doing it with Yarmolenko. <laughs> hey, I'll have no bad words said about him after, uh, after after his last few performances. He redeemed himself. It's much to remember United were trying to sign Arnautovic not that long ago. I'd take him back. I would take it. I'd take him now. I know it sounds silly to say. Oh, you're in a very different position to whether. Well, not, not far off. <laughs> <laughs> with, that's with Skamaka, it's interesting you say that because he, as I say, he was linked with us. And so I did the same thing. This would be interesting. And I assumed we've got these wingers, smashed the ball in the box. And then his compilations, the majority are, he strikes the ball really well, particularly from outside the area. And, and having the quick feet um, for a bloke who's 6'5 as well. You know, I'm used to tall blokes of Andy Carroll up front, and that's just daunting. So how how much of that is then on him and how much of that is on West Ham or Moyes or whatever? Because Darwin Nunes Great player. is getting criticism and it's none of that is on Klopp. It's Darwin Nunes for not finishing them off and not saying, okay, you need to play a different way to get the best out of him or whatever. But I think that's, that's a very different comparison personally. Because Yeah, I, I thought I'd like to <laughs> saying it, but I had to follow through Darwin once Nunez, I'd started. Darwin Nunes is getting these chances and he is just missing sitters. Whereas Skamaka is not, not being put in that situation. You know, it, it, it is a case where we need to change up how we play. You know, put the ball to his feet, maybe play him a bit higher up because sometimes he's receiving the ball deep. And then because we've got five at the back with two holding, there's there's no one making runs. You know, Jared Bowen's sort of forgotten how to look up recently, which is what he was like when he first started with us. 
And then he started moving the ball out and, you know, that put him into the England camp. Rightly so for the first call-up. I'll just clarify that for the first one. (laughs) Um, But it it just, we just need a change of system. That's why I was quite happy when we first started against Brentford because I thought, okay, he's not gone for a standard formation. He is trying to shape things up here and, and go about it a different way. And we did look threatening. And then same old West Ham can see the first goal and heads drop and Cresswell gets bullied. Have you seen have you seen the two strikers together yet for an extended period of time? Or is no, it a case I'm... of getting them both fit at the same period is as tough as getting That's them on exactly the That's exactly what together? it is. And I've mentioned before about Antonio's rubber band hamstrings and you know, it's the worry of getting him to full fitness. I think they would play well off each other, but Moyes would be too scared to play two out-and-out strikers. When they have played, he's come on as a sub and he's whacked Antonio on the wing, which is, again, hilarious. It's it's a tough watch, that, isn't it? (laughs) Just running at people. It was the first time in a while I saw an absolute air shot from Antonio against Brentford. Missed the ball. (laughs) I understand Antonio isn't going to get you 20 goals a season, and you understand that better than us. But at the same time, the attributes that he does have and the damage that he is able to cause is from just terrorising defences. And I said on here a hundred times, the the time I started feeling comfortable with Gabriel was when he was played against uh, Antonio in like his second game and he's out with him well. And so really you want him to be able to do all of that and then your other players are able to fill in the blanks with the damage and the carnage he's causing, which is what kind of happens at Liverpool with Darwin Nunes. Yeah, yeah I mean, that that is one thing I do give to Antonio. His hold at play, for one, is good. But on the flip side of that, because he's built like a shed, he gets brought down, he gets manhandled, wrestled to the ground, and there's just never anything given against him. And it's always funny because you watch his reaction and he's like a toddler. Like, he he's throwing himself about on the floor, slamming his hands down, screening. But if you do give him that ball, and again, I think you saw it against um, against you. He's, he was really good he, against He's us. making all these runs, you know, and he's just running at people, no, no idea what he's going to do. But it's then getting the ball out of his feet. You know, he, he can't find that pass. He can't take <laughs> a shot on. And it's... Because there was, there was times against us where he was doing all of the right things. Anytime we had a concerted level of pressure, the ball would come out and he would back into Gabriel or he would back into Saliba and he would just tease them into going through the back of him and you'd win a foul and you'd get up the pitch. The issue was when it was actually going wide and Ben Rama was open about 100 times in the first half. It just needed the ball to come across to him. But as you say, Bowen wasn't getting his head up. I think it was the times you were getting out were so infrequent that there was a panic of like, we need to do something in this, in this time. So there is obviously attributes there, but I can understand if Moyes is looking and saying, we need to score some goals and win some games. Maybe he isn't looking at Antonio. He's not. And that's me and Stephen mentioned on the deadline day podcast, actually is that he's got his favorites and Antonio is one of them. Okay. He's kind of got to be the favorite because he's the only strike we had for two and a half years. But he he's he can't be afraid to put him on the wing, maybe. You know, he's nailed into Ben Rama now and, and it's evident from his performances that he doesn't like the flashy skills, the flashy attempts. Ben Rama can make a break down the side or cut inside, and then instead of taking on the next man, he'll always ship the ball away. 
And again, I think that boils down to David Moyes wanting to play a specific style of football and not let some flair take over, which is baffling to spend fifty million on on Paqueta and not want flair. But, but as is the thing with fans, though, so if you do go to play in five at the back, and that does give you the opportunity because you have the width out wide to play two up top, are the same fans not going to be complaining that one of Ben Rama? Or Bowen has to then miss out because you're not playing traditional wingers. Yeah, but then you know we haven't had that opportunity to see how it goes. You know, if we see that we're playing with two strikers, instantly you're going to think, oh, okay, so we actually want something here. You know, if we play the same formation every single time with Bowen on the right, Ben Rama on the left, two holding, and then just one man up top, then it's it's a bit draining, really. And there's nothing funnier than seeing Ben Rama. Getting dropped for no reason, by the way. I, I think he's, he should be in there. But the reaction on social media, you go into the into, into Facebook, for example, where they've got like likes, they've got love hearts and angry reacts. You, <laughs> you see if Ben Rahman's not starting, the amount of Algerians that have angry reacted is <laughs> justifiable. They're not wrong. When are you back in Europe again? Because that is a place where, yeah, I mean, with the teams, I imagine you'll be playing, I don't know what you're, tie is going to be like but maybe that's an opportunity where you could try something well, different that's the thing although time's not on no, your side it's not and you know I, it sounds silly to say but we all know the conference league not the the most prestigious euro european tournament <laughs> but i too genuinely believe he play a stronger squad there than what he is in the premier league at the moment i don't think sufal needs to be anywhere near the squad i tweeted about it on what day are we on i don't know it's that horrible period now against brent I keep seeing West Ham fans saying the Czech boys are starting yeah, again. Well, Suchek didn't against uh, against Brentford and we played brilliantly. And then he was the substitution that came on when we were 2-0 down. <laughs> so it was all on him. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> Suchek's the reason, right? But I've said it before about Sufal. The, the guy does... I've never seen someone who does so much in a game yet produces absolutely nothing. Like He's constantly firing these balls into the box which rarely make the first man or clear over right to the other end of the box and Ben Johnson could do a whole lot better I think and he will do in the Conference League you know we've got Flynn Downs on the bench as well who I think is probably a better sub to bring on than than Thomas Suchet um, and he's one of our own so you know yeah. well I saw you had injury problems and I saw videos of Suchet volleying footballs in barefoot on concrete and thought West Ham can have oh, some no, troubles it, here. The, the bloke's made of nothing but iron and rust. He's just hard as nails, is Suchek. It's just he's the, just lost his last, form massively over the last 12 to 18 months. Had the last few questions on West Ham. So I read in The Athletic that Craig Dawson might be leaving this month for family issues. And I didn't know if you had any idea what that was all yeah, about. Yeah, well, he. So there was rumours that he was going to go last summer because. Although he, he played for us for a fair amount of time, he doesn't live in London. He lives in Rochdale and he travels every single day for training. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember yeah. asking you about on the it's, deadline day. It's podcast. baffling. But, but, you know, if he goes, it would be a great shame because I think he probably is one of our better centre-backs. But, you know, he's old. You get it, don't you? Travelling that much. Well, I can tell you, you are in for a centre-back this month. I'm just not sure you'll be thrilled to know who mm, it go is. On. He plays for Everton. Michael Keane. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> well, nothing, nothing like being linked with Tarkovsky and Cody. Them both signing for Everton, and we get linked with Michael Keane. 
To be fair, you felt this way about Dawson when he yeah, signed. but that's only because I'd been experienced to Roger Johnson. You know, <laughs> it, it's absolutely horrific. I think before you move on as well, I, I've just got to say, I think Declan Rice needs to improve massively. Um, I, I don't think he's been doing the job that, that, that he should be doing. You know, we're coming into January now, so Todd, if you're, if you're listening, just he's not worth it, mate. <laughs> well, he's he's, in, he's yeah. in for someone else, and that's why he's depressed. We have signed a, an 18 year old Brazilian centre back who's unheard of and probably won't yeah, play a single game for us before we loan him out to. I read that he's going to be playing for the 21s to at least the end of the yeah, season. Yeah, because he's joining us January, I think. Um, yeah, but you know, potential development there. Who knows? Who knows? Well, you got you brought in Kara. You brought in a. Yeah, I, I have been really um, impressed with Kara. To be fair. Nathan Gerd, obviously. Other than Eddie spinning him yeah. out his boots. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll, we'll let that slide. The issue there was he didn't look like... He kind of saw Eddie was turning the other he way and he was going. like, well, there's no point trying that. <laughs> but yeah, I think injuries have, have hit us and we obviously haven't got the depth that, that top clubs have. But we've got a better squad than we start with every single week. You know, I, I, I thought before the World Cup, I thought, yes, month off for the World Cup. Come back. Okay, we got Arsenal on Boxing Day, which seems to be quite a common fixture. Um, I thought the same. I'd also like to thank you for not texting me during that game, knowing that I was watching it on a stream, just claiming that we'd equalise. Like I was on Prime, so um, I actually cheated twice because I was trying to bet in play and saw that we'd scored two, which, I mean, it's a bit of a downer, but it's far nicer seeing that you scored than the other way around and then waiting to see yeah. the goal go in. So it wasn't too yeah. bad. Do you wonder with um, Todd, where other clubs, you don't want to look like you're trying to get him to buy your players, but if you just happen to mention in conversation, I mean, I'm buzzing the moment because we got this great <laughs> <laughs> Really, yeah, I was just open to advice. <laughs> and then just see if he nibbles at you. Um, TK, um, I was watching with you on Friday two calamitous own goals from Fice and that's maybe the biggest tragedy of West Ham being on Friday Connor is that you had to miss these in, in action yeah I remember you sending me the messages of them and, um, <laughs> and I was a bit delayed yeah. to the message as well because you, <laughs> you were like you, sh- you should have seen that own goal and I was like okay give me give me a minute like five ten minutes later I've checked and I've gone oh that's horrific and then your response was you should uh, see the next one <laughs> <laughs> yeah t- TK um, you couldn't believe your luck fantastic wasn't it just, I'd say better. Who who wants to score goals yourself when you can have goals go like that for you? This, this well, yeah, you, was like destined for own goals and gas VHS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was whatever happened to them. I know that we need them back. This just this making the comeback alone. <laughs> Always the most obscure bloke to be presenting it as well. Danny Baker's own goals and gas. That that was good. <laughs> David Seaman's. Goalkeeping nightmares just shows that you should not be a TV personality. That is a man going, look, no, you've probably... had one quite high-profile thing happen to you. We're going to milk this for all it's worth, son. Let's get something out of it. <laughs> if they came back now, it's probably going to be some of the blokes from Talk Sports, isn't oh, it? Oh, God. Yeah. We can have, why don't we have like with, the piss just with the moose talking through his conspiracy theories in between the guffs? Can't think of a moose without them tuna. Oh, oh, I no. hate the man. Oh. I've never, I've never <laughs> seen someone who 
claims to be such a West Ham fan but just seems to hate us at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But I, I talk shit about us because I'm passionate. But he just like he's not even got an element of passion about it. He, he just supports other teams. There's no two ways about it. I was I was waiting to see a picture of him and Pele and I thought that'd be how I'd find out he died. <laughs> Imagine that. Not this time. But Chica, you, you were pegged back by a Dewsbury Hall goal, my boy, just want to say. Could have made the difference at the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> how do you reflect on the game as a whole? Because I can't imagine you went into Friday thinking you were going to be relying on a Leicester player to get you through. Or if you did, you'd assume it would have been Ward. Yeah, you, you can normally safely assume Danny Ward's give you an assist, can't you? Um, yeah, not great, is it, really? Not great that you can't score against Leicester uh, yourself. Um, the best teams tend to dominate them, and they normally quit pretty easily as well, Leicester. Um, so, and the familiar story that we're so open uh, to play through, that their goal, I mean, you know, he could have walked at home, couldn't he? It was, um, so it's another case of we got the result, but you're not convinced at all. No, um, you recorded something for us regarding Gakpo, which came out last Monday, still on the feed or on TikTok, if anyone wants to have a little look. Um, does relying on face change your outlook on that deal at all? Uh, Probably not. Probably not. I mean... The Gapo in the immediate obviously improves us because at, at this point we've got Darwin and Salah plus one, don't we? And at the minute, well, it's been Ox, which, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I love Ox, but uh, the man hasn't been playing football for a long time for a reason. Um, you don't want him in the front positions, I don't think. So he'll, he'll improve us in that sense. And you would hope if we do have a game like we did against Leicester, someone like Gapo maybe could make the difference. So that element of things, I guess, it's a good signing, but in terms of my concerns of it, are probably more the long term. How does it all fit together? Yeah. I guess when everyone's fit, because Darwin was busy again. <laughs> um, I, I was speaking to you on Friday about that turning point that Jack will be familiar with. Him, the initially Werner got a lot of praise for making things happen, and then almost at once that tone switches, and you're ridiculed for not scoring, and you've just become this meme character. Now Darwin has almost done this in reverse where he started out as a meme. We started out being compared to Haaland. <laughs> then he was memed. And now he's being praised for making things happen. And I do wonder where you think that's going to settle. If it's going to settle on the side of this guy, you're going to keep being praised for things happening. Or would it be a case of if Leicester had got a late equaliser, then maybe Darwin's critiqued a bit more than he, than he was. Yeah, that's it. I think where we've, had some of these games we've had big misses in, he's got away with it because we've got ended up getting the result. Um, you would assume at some point he's probably going to have a big Champions League game or something like that. And if we go out and he's missed a hat full of chances, then the scrutiny is going to get really, really on him. Um, you're right with the with the Werner thing. I think it was similar with him where I was. I thought in his second season at Chelsea, he'd start scoring goals. I thought he's doing all the right making all the right runs, they're creating a lot of chances for him, he'll start scoring more. And obviously that pretty emphatically went wrong. That didn't happen at all. And so I would probably put a similar story with Darwin where I'd say everything he's doing now is great, but the idea that you can go, well, and we can allow the poor finishes, like, well, at some point that can't happen because he's a big money signing and we're going to be relying on him sticking those goals in. 
in in the best possible way, does he care as much as Werner did? Because from what we've seen, it it doesn't seem to bother him as much as you would think it could. Uh, yeah, but I did also think Werner sort of a, it became a burden for him, didn't it? You could kind of see him; he kind of wore. That's it. what I mean. Whereas so, I think Darwin's approach is probably a little bit better in terms of yeah, he does seem relatively carefree, doesn't he? Um. Wenger would constantly go on about the only issue with you missing is if it's yeah. on your mind when you then get the next opportunity. And to be honest, though, and Darwin does seem like every shot he's taking is like he's never missed one before in his life. Yeah, him and Salah both do that for him and they just sort of laugh when they miss. How funny is it, lads? <laughs> <laughs> the um, the thing with him, though, that I, that's probably a good sign because one, obviously, coming in, you kind of thought he was a bit of a hothead. Obviously, that red card definitely gave you that impression and yeah. we had that thing didn't we that he had deleted social media previously because the scrutiny was a bit much yeah. and you thought well before scrutiny was a bit much then then being a this much money signing for uh for liverpool you're gonna have a lot more scrutiny now especially at the same time as harland so uh the fact that he's personally does seem fairly laid back with it is probably a good sign i think klopp does a very good job of insulating mm. him in that you see this with some players, and we always talk about Ertzel needed an arm round him, and just these little things that Klopp goes out of his way to say, you know, he was the man of the match. I have nothing but good things to say about him for what he did. And then I guess it's just a case of... It, it does um, seem like the team back him as well. As the manager does, it does seem like the team do have belief in him. It's when, it's if your teammates start thinking the same as we all do on social media, yeah. that he's got a touch like a trampoline or whatever, that that's when you start getting uh, concerned, I think. Because we, we have a lot more time on our hands, so sometimes it can seem uh, inconceivable that someone like that could just ignore social media entirely. Mm. But I see, like, Ramsdale before he even joined Arsenal, probably because of what was happening before he joined Arsenal, turned everything off. You cannot get in touch with him unless he follows you or it's through the club directly. And I imagine Darwin, unless he's searching his name to see these memes... Maybe he's just done the same and you just he doesn't see any of this. And so all he's getting is the positive affirmation from everyone in and around Liverpool. Yeah, you might be right. And that probably is one of the only benefits to footballers living a pretty isolated life, don't they? Away from like the rest of the world. And it's probably one of the few benefits that probably one of the few benefits that he's gonna have as well that he probably doesn't speak the language that well. So he's not gonna be looking at a load of people posting memes in English, right? He's probably not gonna be bothered. No, because the the Darwin debate is as much as, as I said earlier, every time Arsenal win a game, talk sports, Sky Sports is, are they genuine <laughs> top contenders? I don't know how much has changed from the week before. But he, he was the most prolific striker in Europe last season, statistically. That doesn't go away overnight. You can go back and look at those goals and it's good for a compilation. If a lot of them are freakish and you're banging them from 25 yards, but sometimes the best thing you want to see is someone just tapping the ball in 30 times from two yards out because, you know, the movement and everything else is spot on. Darwin's was more of the former, but obviously knows how to find the back of the net. Jack will say that doesn't always add up with Timo, but I don't know what Jack would say about the highlights you would have seen of Timo beforehand if maybe that would look like a red flag now. Yeah, I mean... A lot of Timo's highlights were him running through a defence that seemed to all be parked <laughs> on the halfway line and then finishing past the keeper, um, knowing that you're not going to get that time in the PL. But a lot of, a lot of other ones, he's, he's scored like a large variety, which 
you're right with Nunez. I mean, even I've seen some of the compilations where he's banging them in from 25 yards and <sighs> maybe he's just had his Maratta moment without scoring the 13 goals. I think that's probably, it's just so tricky because he looks like he can be an absolute menace, <laughs> but then he can, he looks like he can also be absolutely shit. So I, I have no idea where you pigeonhole him at this point. Playing for West Ham up front. <laughs> yeah. I don't think even we take him. <laughs> we need goals. <laughs> Jack, I, I remember when you sold uh, Werner and then within about five minutes, I remember all of Sky Sports doing, and Werner scored already and then we saw the goal and it was a shot from like 40 yards that the keepers somehow let squirm underneath him and it was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, maybe this was the difference. Yeah, I mean, that Bundesliga tax is completely true. <laughs> Like the second half of the Bundesliga is based on League Two, um, but that probably accounts for a lot of his goals and why he could run through with his pace and just. But this is the thing with Werner as well is that he, even though he was running through and out of all the time in the world, that was sometimes when he was at his worst for Chelsea, mm. where he had too much time when he was running through on goal and just absolutely fluffed the shot. So it showed that he can do it. Yeah, I mean, he had that moment in the Champions League where you nearly went through against Real Madrid. So, yeah, he had it in the locker, but I, I we, we all just assumed that he was going to go to Liverpool. So maybe yeah. you would have had Darwin before Darwin if you had got Timo like everyone thought. I stand by the fact that what I said in the summer is that he's probably the only person in the front where I wouldn't want to go. I'd believe everyone else. But there we go. I was always, I was always the on the that, Timo but... train, I was. Yeah. <laughs> but still on it, all aboard. <laughs> Rat, Timo 2.0. There's plenty on. of space on board. Yeah. Yeah. Two teams that we've mentioned together frequently for the last couple of years. We'll move on from Liverpool to City. Haaland has scored again, but it's now consecutive losses at home for Man City. Is it as simple as you just need to make it out of that first 20 minutes alive with them and then maybe you can do a bit more or is it just you play this game 10 times and nine times they put nine past Everton and the one time Damari Gray gives you that? Yeah, I think it's the second option, isn't it? A little Freudian slip there as well. They didn't lose, but it felt like a loss for them, didn't it? Oh, yeah, there you go. Any, yeah, any time they don't win, it <laughs> seems like a lot of them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those those days. But obviously, you have one of those days in a season where you're now seven points behind the leaders. That's panic time to see. Frank also did this at Chelsea, where every time you assumed he was about to get sacked, he would just... He got the Oli G, doesn't he? Oli did oh. it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Arteta just kept losing and they just said, we'll just keep you anyway. So it, it can work differently, but... I don't know what happened here. Pep was moaning again about teams having eights behind the ball, which never bodes well. Who was it? Someone did it after losing to... It was Spain, wasn't it? When they went out of the World Cup and they were complaining about that only one team was trying to win the game. It doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> no, no lost. I mean, when you've got when you've got multi-billionaire owners that pump billions and billions into transfers to get the best talent around the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. talking about, sorry. I mean, don't, yeah, don't worry. We'll be coming on to that. And I will not be holding any hinges. Um, but you can't be surprised when players that cost a fraction of what your subs cost decide, you know what, we're not going to go gung-ho against these players. We're probably going to try and come out against the best result for us. And then it's 
up to that team with all those players to be good enough to break them down. And teams have been doing this to Man City since Pep arrived. So like, it's not a new thing. It's just the standard response to, we weren't good enough on a day. I'm going to blame the other team for being negative. Like Morocco got lauded as one of the best teams in the World Cup because of the way they defended. Two ball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's because I've been brought up on Jose, Conte and Tuchel, but there is a certain art to it. And I would rather... I love I the fact that Jack was being brought up during Tuchel's <laughs> time at Chelsea. It's got a wide period, it's that still wasn't full, it? Mid-20s and formative years. <laughs> They they can decide how your thirties go very easily. Looking at this Chelsea team now, to be fair, you you are going to be yeah. looking back at that time fondly now. But I, <laughs> I was more excited watching this defend with ten men behind the ball and under Jose, knowing that or Conte for that matter, knowing that as soon as we get a chance, we're probably going to score it. Then having the ball for 80 percent of the game and doing absolutely fuck all with it, and there is an art to. So these brilliant defensive teams, and not that Everton, I wouldn't really put Frank at the helm of any brilliant defensive team, but it worked for them on a day and power to them. Yeah, uh, Haaland got embroiled in a battle with Ben Godfrey early, who, he is a nasty piece of work, to be fair. Can't forgive him for standing on Tommy Asu's face. But look, if you can get away with it, you can get away with it. There's the clip that was doing the rounds, well, two actually, the one of him, well, looking like he was doing a Cartman impression with whatever voice he was doing in Godfrey's ear. And then the other one of him just nailing, I can't remember which player it was, and then sprinting away about as fast as possibly could. Yeah, it would stack up. <laughs> so it, they got embroiled in a bit of a battle. Usually he's probably going to put a hat-trick on you and we're going to say, look, don't piss him off. But on this occasion, more it's obviously needed from... Grealish, Mares, Foden when he plays, there's a conversation to be had about him. Or is it just that the system doesn't allow it? Because last season they played through you. They were about when you looked at their past maps, they were about as vertical as you could get Man City. Now they try and play around you. And we all thought preseason there was the one Grealish to Haaland, and they were just going to continue their cutbacks and cutbacks mm. and cutbacks, and they were going to get 500 goals doing this but because the last couple of games suggest it's a bit more difficult than that yeah I, I think the tactic of playing rounds to the wings is one of the worst for trying to break down a team with all their players behind the ball I've, I've seen it many a time for Chelsea and the way that City was so successful is because teams could do what Everton did but because they had such a fluid attack with such brilliant vertical passes as you said it was just a matter of time before someone slipped up somewhere because there was just so many players in and around the area. Now, it's a lot slower when you play out to the wings and it also puts a lot of reliance on the fullbacks delivering that killer ball to Haaland. Now, don't get me wrong, Haaland has scored more goals than fucking Chelsea has. So <laughs> that's one thing. But if you weigh up the actual contributions, points contributions for those goals versus last season where it was more spread out, you had more players to worry about, there are going to be the, there is going to be the odd game where that tactic doesn't work and players a manager figures out something to try and contain Haaland and it works for ninety minutes it may not work in the return fixture but for that ninety minutes it holds into a draw. Now that I always wondered if that was going to be the issue here because that seemed to be City's main USP of being able to just 
break down any team because you had to worry about the whole front six, really, as opposed to just one man. But I saw this a lot at the weekend, and I don't know at what point we call it an issue because until this stage, Arsenal and City have quite clearly been the two best teams in the league. And I don't think Arsenal have been far enough away that you would say it's been a singular best team in the league. I think it's been the two together. But then these two games happen and it's suddenly, well, we did say that they can't play with a striker. They're better off without it. We won't really know till the end of the season, but I guess at least the question marks have been raised. I, I think so. I think, don't forget as well that City just seem to come alive in that second half of the season. It's just, they can be how many points behind Liverpool that one season is to overtake them in the end. And there, there, nice. there is something that just clunks, <laughs> clunks into, <laughs> it just seems there's something that clunks into place for them. Um, but yeah, I think it's always going to be, you're going to have the best striker in the world, but if he has an off game for 90 minutes, it could cost you the league because that, that's quite recently the last few seasons it has come down to three points one point this whatever. guy uh, <laughs> 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 um, but you're relying on that service always being there and it always working whereas before if it didn't work it just wasn't their day as a team collective where now the blame will probably fall solely on either De Bruyne or Haaland for either not finding him or Haaland not doing something to create a chance for himself on that note do you think people are I, getting I didn't, there are players in that team that are getting a pass as well by by our sort of thing of is fitting Haaland in costing City, I think we're kind of absolving certain players of responsibility where you go, is De Bruyne at his best? Obviously, Grealish you spoke about. Yeah. Someone like, even like Cancelo, we've gone, he's not playing well to the point where he's been dropped at times. It's individual forms in that team. It's kind of who's really at the top of their game at the minute. Not many. I, I, saw, a, I saw a comparison today of Leroy Sane and Sterling having like 18 goal. Um, 18 goals and 12 assists, 18 games a couple of seasons ago versus Mares and Grealish of 18 games and one mm. goal each, no assists since the start of the season, so all the last 18 games. So, yeah, there's definitely less contribution coming from the rest of the players. I think it's just they've gone so hard for for so long, and you saw it. You've seen it with Liverpool with the drop off. That these players are human; they can't do that year in year out by the looks of it. But I think maybe just outside of um, Foden, Mares is maybe Pep's most mismanaged player. Mm-hmm. In he would constantly go back to him when he had a big game, like the Champions League games. You would always see Mares in the squad, but he's not racking up thirty games a season, or maybe the stats will tell me different. It doesn't feel like he's at least putting up the minutes that he's clearly able to contribute, and thus the numbers are suffering. And when you look at the difference, <coughs> and maybe we made a mockery of at the end of the season. Nine of Arsenal's eleven players have played every single game this season. Nine of the nine players, sorry, nine of the starting eleven have played every single game this season. And then City, their rotations: Cancelo hasn't played, I think, since uh, the league's resumed. Foden didn't come on till eighty-seven minutes. I don't know. Maybe sometimes someone just needs to know that the shirt's theirs, and it's very difficult to get that at City. But again, we're kind of writing obituaries after a draw yeah. when they're still very much uh, in total contention. Historically as well, City at Goodison, something always weird seems to happen there. So maybe it's just one of those bogey grounds for them. Yeah, let's hope they can find a few more of them, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, but this was at, this was actually at home. Um, 
City. That's why it was okay. two games at home they've not won because again oh they lost to Brentford before the World Cup, then they've beaten Leeds, which most teams do, and then they've uh, drawn with Everton. Um Spurs is a, a, a team we're more than happy to talk about. So Conte said after losing to Aston Villa, we don't have a solid foundation. The club knows very well what I think. He also said the club need 14 to 15 new strong players. He said that he would laugh at anyone saying they were title contenders in preseason. Uh, and then he He's said to his word. Spurs would... Yeah, he said Spurs would be better off fifth, sixth or seventh. <laughs> Now, Spurs fans are tying themselves up in knots after every single game, finding a way to absolve Conte of any blame and blame this all on the players. Spurs have outspent Arsenal since he came in. This isn't a guy who hasn't had any money to spend. If we go about Jamie O'Hara, I think he's the voice of Spurs fans. We've agreed that before. <laughs> the adulterer. He said they won the transfer window. He what? He said they won the transfer yep. window, was what he said as that ended. Sky Sports viewers, every single one of their signings was voted into being the eleven of the best eleven of the transfer window. Bissoum has been incredibly poor. No league goals for Richarlison. Spence has been bench warming. Perisic. Uh, is is the issue that he just didn't change anything with his signings? Like he signed exactly the same type of player in every position. They didn't. He didn't move them forward at all. Uh, I don't know because I think on paper they were okay signings. I, I questioned the Richarlison one at the time. Um, maybe that will come good, but I, I don't know. Again, I just think there's a lot of players not in form. Someone like Son isn't in good form. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think his general style of play, I think, is more of an issue than the signings. Yeah, it's overly yeah. negative at I times. You can't, I don't think you go against you know a team like Villa. You've got to go at them. You can't let an Emery team sit in. No, like the extreme examples, everyone has pointed to what Eddie Howe has done with the likes of Almiron mm. and these other players at Newcastle where he's came in and made them better. Conte's essentially saying he's not expected to do that. Like he just needs to come in and buy these players. What... Unless he was just there for a paycheck, you can say that you're being sold a dream, but if there's a bloke now, whatever celebrity you want to use, that's been exposed for cheating on their missus multiple, multiple times, you can say the person coming into that relationship the second time around, maybe regardless of what this bloke tells you, there's enough track record out there to say, maybe a piece of work. I don't know what they've told Conte. You can look enough through history to say they aren't going to give you the bundles of cash that you're claiming you require. He was saying after about six weeks, oh, well, you know, I'm not used to competing for top four. I need to be competing for trophies. What the hell was he expecting? He, he somehow just manages to absolve himself of the blame after every single performance. This Spurs team aren't as bad as how they're looking on the pitch. I mean, he's going to have to answer for that at some stage, unless he just wants to get sacked. That's sort of the tightrope you get with him, isn't it, as well, is you are going to have these outbursts from him. It's just what he does. 
But well, this is exactly what he did in year two of Chelsea mm. when he didn't get what he wanted. He was making all the rumblings, criticising the board, criticising the club. So he knew that he'd get sacked and he can go on to something else after getting his contract paid out. So this is straight out of the Conte playbook, um, which is, is worrying for Spurs because they seem to be the ones that... So well, Spurs' teams and the fans would be the ones that suffer because of this because if Conte's checked out, that's not a good look. But if you've football. got a guy with six months left on his contract, why would you go and build a team in his image in January and spend bundles and bundles of cash? Yeah, especially when... I mean, he doesn't want to work the rest of his contract by the looks of it, but he's definitely not signing another one if he's this unhappy. So exactly that. It's just a bit of purgatory. For and the club has backed him. It's not like not... the club hasn't backed him. No. You know what I mean? You could say, well, fair, it's fair comment from him. It's, the club's backed him more than he could have hoped, really. I don't think they would have put the money down for someone like Perisic if he wasn't nope. there, just be- just because of his age alone. I don't think they probably pay the money for Richarlison. But the big thing that we were told in getting fourth, and if you can remember Spurs fans' replies when that link was posted from their website that their owners had injected $150 million into the team. And I've gone back and looked through all of those responses and they're beautiful, <laughs> beautiful reading. Champions League was supposed to mean that they were getting the better players. And you compared our transfer windows and Gabriel Jesus, Richarlison, I guess both sets of fans will make an argument there, but the likes of Zinchenko and right through, when you look at Jed Spence, you look at Basuma now, clearly there was something that was seen by the teams to not go and pick them up. It's reflecting horribly, but I just don't like that Conte seems to weasel his way out <laughs> of this and uh, it's all going down on the players. He's got more than enough to compete with Aston Villa and they weren't doing that. If you're saying that teams are backing in more, do we just say, oh, well, that's okay then? What's Sun yeah. supposed to do? Well, this is exactly it, isn't it? A lot of these managers will come out and say, I'm not being backed. But after a defeat against a team where on paper you should be wiping the floor with them, especially in the form that Villa have been in. Sun chucking his mask on the floor like that was going to change something yesterday. <laughs> Only to then play worse. Yes, probably. <laughs> He's just not that type of we player, all are. is he? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to go on a ball for the rest of the game if you're throwing the mask like that. You've got to. <laughs> and will this being said, I mean, you can accuse me of whatever you want to accuse me of here. They're going to beat us in a week's time. That's just the way the North London derby works, unfortunately. There's no reason they should. It should be a very clear scoreline, but probably aware that's not going to be the case. I don't know. Larry seems to get some blame. And other than that, I couldn't believe Romero wasn't sent off yesterday. I think we are starting to see the tide turn a little bit in terms of Conte being questioned a bit. I've, I just certain things about the tactics. I've seen a lot more of some suggesting they should go to a back four. Obviously, they want more positive football. So there's something there. And whilst a section of Spurs fans will always probably think, could we get Poch back? I think that will only increase as long as he's not in a job. Yeah, I mean, the worry for me is that Luis Enrique goes there and they sell him a dream. Mm. Yeah, very good manager. 
Hopefully that's the case. I said yesterday, he's going to go Chelsea or Spurs. Yeah, probably. Um, would rather Chelsea in that scenario, but neither situation is pleasant. Maybe <laughs> Graham Potter goes to Spurs. On to Chelsea. One win in their last seven, and that was against Bournemouth. Draws against Brentford and United in there. Losses to Brighton, Arsenal and Newcastle. Deals for Nkunku, Fofana and Santos have already been wrapped up for January and a 130 million deal for Enzo is being negotiated as we speak. Hope that goes through. Jack, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you because it's, it's hilarious. Like, we've got nothing to be annoyed at, technically, because... Um, let, let, let me finish this before you interject. I was quite annoyed watching your forest. So, gone as are you Yeah. So, so the, the blame is usually laid firmly at the door of the owners. Oh, this squad needs investment. As soon as we get cash injection, it's all going to be better. These play- like I'm not being funny, but I'm actually looking at Todd Bowling and thinking, can you stop spending money for now, please? Just can you can you look inwards and try and figure out what's going on? Because I don't want to use up all of the funds on players that. But by the looks of it, if they're anything like the players that he signed in the summer, are going to be fucking shit. <laughs> like the Aspilicueta, Aspilicueta, Colabali, right hand side, it has to be the worst thing. Not just football thing, <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life, and I never want to have to witness that ever again. Um, oh my god, I just I don't know where to look. Like in my my kind of statement opening statement of I, we've got nothing to complain about of course we have plenty of things but usually the archetypal fan will go the owners aren't doing their bit well the owners are doing their bit what else do we complain about we can't we have to start looking at the players and definitely start looking at that fraud <laughs> if if these deals go through jack it'll be 600 million spent in six months um, I, I can't i can't i can't wrap my head around this it's making my head spin. I went through the Abramovich opening years. Like the the difference is as well. I mean, the Abramovich opening years, we were going out and dropping fifteen mil on Makalele and like the, all these players, the, like Iron Robin and all these players that were the best in their position. were like, whoa, we're cooking. We're dropping. I don't know if it's me getting old or if I'm not just involved. And in, like I said in the group chat earlier this week, if I'm not staying up till three in the morning looking at some Brazilian wonder kid that's going to go on and play for <laughs> Tess Arnhem like I did when I was 17. I don't know if I'm, I don't know what's going on, but we're dropping money on players that I don't even know. I haven't even heard of them. So, and even if I had heard of them, I don't like know how they're going to perform because we got the most exciting young talent in the world in Kai Havertz and he looks absolute shite. <laughs> I don't, there's no way, there's no positive way to swing Havertz. Like, Four goals in the Premier League this season, and I think it was four last season. Eight goals in two Premier League seasons, or a year at uh, one and a half Premier League seasons. It's shit. <laughs> like, like, there's no. What else can you say about it? And it's not like Werner, where you can say, or the Nunes scenario, where oh, at least he's making things happen. If he's not putting it in the net, he's doing absolutely fuck <laughs> all. So he looks so, like. It's taking passenger to a whole new level. Can I? You text me oh. on Boxing Day, and you know where this is going. Just clock that Havertz has four Premier League goals this year, and it excited me. <laughs> Somebody put me out of my misery. <laughs> <laughs> and then that that just sums it up. 
you know. And I remember you texting me on Boxing Day saying, "Oh, just I don't know about you, but it just feels like it means more when it's the club versus versus England." And I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> like, no, it doesn't. Oh, it for does. me, anyway. For you, at the top of the league, looking sitting pretty, I'm sure it does. But for me, I was watching that game yesterday, and we were so bad that when we got that goal, I was like, "Where the fuck did that come from?" And it's like, "Well, they're going to score because." We were, I, I've just, I can't even describe how bad we were yesterday. Like the stats, not a shot on target in the whole of the second half against a team in the relegation zone. What, oh. what I thought was interesting yesterday was, um, as Piliqueta was interviewed, I don't know if you stayed for any of the post game, um, and he said that it was two points dropped. And about five minutes later, they interviewed Graham Potter. Yeah, I know. And he said it was a point game. Oh, that's a bad like, line. You're, misquote, you're misquoting slightly. He said it's a, it's a hard-earned point, which is kind of a grey area, which is what we should call him. It should be grey area Potter as a grey area because he's just, he's so bland. <laughs> so bland. He's like nothing He's got a degree him. in psychology, I'll have you know. Only, <laughs> uh, yeah, he looks like he should be sat there with his stupid turtleneck on a bench somewhere listening to about someone cry about how their life is shit. <laughs> Most of them will probably be Chelsea fans after watching the Chelsea performances. That's why, if he's got a degree in psychology, counsel us after watching his teams play. That's that's how he gives back to the community in this sense, because it, right now he's not giving us anything, any joy from the football side. So the least he can do is hold our hands through the grieving process. The last episode before the World Cup, I should point out, Jack was saying, well, the thing is, we've seen now with Arteta what can happen when you stick with a manager. Yeah, I haven't got a fucking patience for it, all right? Do me. Get me Jose in that dugout tomorrow. Yeah, you texted me last night to say he was out of his depth, which I thought was a bit harsh, but... I don't know. I, it's not the fact that I think he's out of his depth. I know he's out of his depth. Like, the, the, the thing is, right, with Arteta, there's this thing where he was an ex-player. We had that with Frag. I can see the draw. But then he also worked with Pep Guardiola in one of the most successful like Premier League era teams. So you can kind of understand the thought process behind it. I know that they've brought, they've made Brighton into a good team, but Eddie Howe's made Newcastle into a better team in a shorter space of time with probably less money. So, and the, Newcastle had a, a lot worse squad than us to begin with. So don't sit there <laughs> and tell me that, that, oh, we should trust the process and oh, look what happens. I'm not saying you've told me this, but I'm just saying yeah. that this is what's going around on Chelsea Twitter. But I don't sit there and tell me that I need to trust this process because there's no absolute guaranteed result at the end of it. It's not like it's Pep Guardiola where you're going to finish third to finish first because of the way he plays and you're just going to have to adjust to it. Right now, we're playing the worst we've played since way before Tuchel. So that sacking looks more and more ridiculous as days and days go past. And the fact that we've won one in seven, that's just not fucking good enough. And it's not even like we've had a bad run of fixtures we've had united have been pretty buoyant we've had the top of the league arsenal but then we've got teams in there like newcastle where we should be imposing ourselves on newcastle you're the new kids on the block let's show you how it's done give them a knock knock them down a peg or two got absolutely just obliterated and it's the manner of these these losses we're toothless look weak and we need to sort out the right back problem for a start because james is always injured i don't care how good he is it's not Aspilicueta's fault that he's been forced to play right back the majority of two seasons in a row. It's not, and we know that it's not his fault. We're not going to blame him. Tried to leave. It, but it's just not good enough. I'm, it's 
and the most the overarching message of this round that I want to take like you can't call this a process if you're bringing on 33 year old <laughs> midfielders like or 33 year old defenders you can't call this a process if you're ignoring younger talent or a 33 year old striker or a 33 year old striker like I would well, we are pretty limited in the striking department albeit fair enough I've yeah. probably done the same but you can't call this a process when you're continuing to start the 37 year old Silva who is our best player I'm not saying he shouldn't be starting but I'm just saying that we should be expecting results now as opposed to trusting this as a fucking process. So Tuchel was actually interviewed yesterday about trusting processes. I don't know if you've seen this. and I have. I've, I was off my phone yesterday because I was backing it up. So but, um, I haven't to, seen the video. To paraphrase, he essentially says, doesn't he, that to trust the process, you almost need to disengage from results. But at Chelsea, it's all about results. Yeah, there is that. But... I would much rather be trusting a process under Tuchel having already won the Champions League, got to every major final possible in the first 18 months. I'd much rather watch him build a squad than someone who's brought Brighton to finish in the top half of the table. So in that sense, you can blame the owners. You said you had nothing to complain about the owners for. I, I meant more of a spending thing. I meant more, like, you can't take everything I say quite <laughs> literally right now because I'm so... He's emotional, okay? right? There's going to be holes you can... There's holes you can poke in it and by all means poke away. So in terms of the process you are trying to do, clearly you're trying to invest in the type of youngsters that are going to cost you a hundred million in seven years time, but get them now and they play together through a youth team and whatever. And then you build and you're set for the next, however many years. It's a, that's the, that's the process. Let's see if it works. The interesting one with that is you're usually not spending 20, 30 million on those players you're usually and the game has changed it would usually be you scout in some point in brazil that no one's ever heard of you find some kid you get him for three million euros and then if you're lucky he comes in in five years time if not you try and turn him for a profit look this isn't new we've been doing this for the last 15 years. But you're essentially getting these before. So Andre Santos is someone no, who wasn't even no, on Football Manager last year. He comes in now. He's all the talk in Brazil. And you get him before anyone else can commit 20 million look, to him. Look, look. We had Lucas <laughs> Piers on. Before you still this, do, don't you? Before this yeah. talk. I've, I've had my... I have had my fingers burnt with Brazilian wonder kids. Remember Nathan? Yeah, that you were trying to spend there. 60 on Hendrix. I'd be grateful Real Madrid got in there first. Look, this is what I mean. This this isn't a new process. This is exactly what we were doing before. And if they don't make it, they'll be loaned out for how many years and shipped off to Vitesse Arnhem as a graveyard. So, but it wasn't. You've just like, spent whatever on Koulibaly. You've just spent money on Aspilic, uh, on uh, Abamyang. So this is supposed to be you're turning over a new leaf. But this is what I mean. It like they're trying to go for. They've got pre-built success within that starting eleven. You can't tell me any different than that because they've gone and spent hundreds of millions of pounds on success now players. They're also dripping in, drip feeding in success in seven years players, which I cannot kind of understand what they want to do and put their stamp on it. But it seems so mismatched where they obviously care about results now because they wouldn't be buying these ready-made or what we thought was a ready-made defenders, attackers, whatever. So you, they, you can't sit there and tell me that they don't care about results now and we shouldn't be caring. They obviously do, but they're getting caught, what it seems, between 
planning for the future and having a yes man in the dugout which buys into this process and this is the whole point it's hard for us to trust the process when we don't know what the end result is well you're never going to know process, that but no, no you yeah but you've got more of a chance of knowing it with a ten hag figure who's won things a I'm, I'm Does a narrative like, easy mean more than what Graham Potter's done with Brighton? Yeah, it's a title, I'd, yeah, say so. I'd say so. It's 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 a title. It's a winning mentality. They know how, th- they know something about it, and it, you see it in Graham Potter's press conferences where he hasn't got it. He hasn't got it. The the thing that can make a Chelsea manager where you can play with the media just like well, shrugs his shoulders harder and I mean it's, it's quite tough to put on a front after you've just drawn with and Forest to be fair and when you've won one in seven but you knew that yeah, but- you, you you spoke on here when we did the podcast I know a long time has passed but what we were all saying was Chelsea have appointed a project manager but they aren't a project club and you effectively said well they're going to have to be because this is what they've appointed I think the ownership is maybe the biggest fault here because when Newcastle got their takeover, they didn't sign any extensive players until they had someone in place to get these processes in order and ensure they were signing mm-hmm. the right players. So it took them eight months before they committed to Bruno Guimaraes and they spent forty million on him. Your man was flying Fafana to America for some bizarre reasons to do a medical, <coughs> but, and then spent eighty million on him. They've spent 40 on Bruno, 60 on Isaac, and then about 12 million on Trippier, about 12 on Dan Byrne or whatever. A lot of it has to, you can always have the money, but you have to have the system in place to spend the money. And that's been as much of the issue. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I do agree with that. I think from moving on from this, I think we have to blame some of the players quite a lot as well. I think, they are performing way below where we know they can perform. We, we're still having the same issues as we had under Tuchel, so it's obviously not a system problem, or it can be. But we create nothing. We don't ever worry. We don't ever worry teams when we get the ball. It's never. It's like with Liverpool. It's heart and mouth moment every time that they pick the ball up on the halfway line of the transition because you think they've got the players and the the kind of playing style to really hurt you. Whereas with us, like. I never get excited when we get the ball. And even the goal we scored against Nottingham Forest, it's a fluke. It came off the bar and luckily Sterling was just there to stick it in the net. So that was that was a fluke goal away from a 1-0 loss against Nottingham Forest. So that has to fall on the players. But then it's also the manager's responsibility to get to get them G'd up, to get them tactically aware. But then with managers, just, you, you didn't want Pochettino. Two no. obviously gone. David Moyes wasn't available. It was basically Zidane was on the table, who you'd probably have complained that he'd only done it with Real Madrid. And now coming up, we'll see maybe what the ownership are made of because you're going to have Luis Enrique, Luis Enrique, maybe Hansi Flick and Pochettino still on the market. And so we'll see how patient they are because from what we've seen in the signings, maybe they aren't going to be as patient as Chelsea fans think. The thing is as well, I would much, I'd probably trust the process more if it was under a flick, Luis Enrique. <sighs> I just don't know what punch. But, and definitely is a Dan. I mean, look, I'm, yeah, you can say he's only done it at Real Madrid. It's the only club he's managed and he's won the Champions League, what, four times, is it? Three or four I'm times? Just, I think I was preempting what Chelsea fans would have said. If I asked you now, 
you were concocting a league table based on number one is the best starting 11 in the Premier League, 20th. You can see where I'm going here. How good do you actually think yeah. Chelsea's best starting 11 is? Um, but it's not top four quality. No, I'd probably say it's between fifth and sixth. So you think you have a better starting 11 than what? United, Spurs, Liverpool. How many of them? Newcastle. What? They haven't got no order yet. So well, I'm just I'm, I mean, you obviously have to have it in front of at, at least two of yeah, them. Yeah, I'd, I'd have it. Yeah, I'd have it in front of Spurs. I'd probably have it in front of United. You think you have a better start um, eleven than United? I genuinely think, yeah, if fully fit, yeah. Maybe. Um, I, I think I think it's hard to argue. I'm not really. Uh, I, I do. I'm not sure they've got a better start eleven than Spurs. I mean, the defense alone is probably better. I'd probably have. James, Thiago Silva, and any other centre back over what Spurs are. Kulabai scared me enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm you did. You about you that, did. I'd, I'd have Wes, I'd have Wes, Wes, Wes Fana in there for sure. When he's first. <laughs> yes. But I, yeah, the goal went in yesterday. <laughs> I didn't care. That's how that that's that's how bad it's gotten. Where I actively. I'm indifferent. I'm back to Sarri territory. How close are we to you rooting for the other team? That's me. I couldn't. That's a bit of an experience. I I, I was close to close to indifference. Obviously, when that goal went in, and a little flicker in the back of my head, and I was like, "What's that? Let's explore that." And I was like, "No, let's (laughs) not go down that path." So I will refrain from answering that question. If If Aston Villa called you up and said, "Jack," Just the man I want to speak to you. We're offering you a manager swap. Ula Emery, Graham Potter. I'm taking it. <laughs> yep. I trust that. Oh, a bit of respect. Sorry. Oh, I take, oh. I trust, yeah, I trust I trust that process no, more than no, no, Brighton into the top half of the table. Because because they've relied on brilliant scouting. I can tell you for now, as Piliqueta would be at right back. As I saw with Licksteiner. And as Villa are finding out with Ashley Young. <laughs> I mean, I think that's as good of a point to end this podcast on as any. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. Hopefully you checked out Protect Your Neck that I recorded with Rory on New Year's Eve. If not, go and look at that for the end of year UFC awards. Movie Madness will be back this Thursday evening with Maid against the nice guys so tune in for that and then as always we'll be back next monday see you there adios